0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: Some of you guys, if you just walk with God, if you just be consistent in walking with Jesus, stop walking away from Him. Stop getting distracted with others. If you would just walk with God, you will find that as you walk with Him, you walk into everything that He delights in, everything that He wants you to be doing as you just walk with Him. And sometimes again we're looking for the big thing. I want to do this great thing in God's. I wish you would just do the, the basic stuff. I wish you would just walk. I wish you'd just open
0: up the word and read it every day. If you're a guy, you might have some specific things in mind when considering the right girl to marry. Maybe her appearance is high on your list. Perhaps some inner qualities of character and strength shine out. Something any man would hope for for his bride to be faithful to him. Well, Jesus was no different when he expressed what he wanted to see in his bride, the church. Today, Pastor Bill gets into the details of the many good things that Jesus saw within the church and celebrated. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter 3, as he begins his message, the church of Philadelphia. Well, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to briefly
1: um, just remind us that we're we're in our sixth of seven churches. As we're going through the book of Revelation, we're in a section that covers the seven churches, the church age, and we've covered five. Today we'll cover the sixth church. Uh, we've seen a lot of things. We've seen a church that had left their first love. We've seen a church that was a persecuted church. We've seen a church that was compromised, a church that was corrupt. We looked at a church that was dead, the church of Sardis. Well, today we look at The Church of Philadelphia, which we are calling the faithful church. Uh, Philadelphia is one of two churches that Jesus had nothing negative to say, only positive. So we really want to pay attention. The other church that he only had positive things to say about was Smyrna, the persecuted church. He had no correction for them. Uh, There was no negative things, only positive. Well, the Church of Philadelphia is like them. And if you guys remember... As we study the book of Revelation, which is the unveiling of Jesus, on every page, we'll want to learn about him. Amen? So what we're learning about Jesus as he gives his uh, evaluation of these churches, we're learning what he loves, what he hates, what he wants not to happen in the church, what he wants to happen. Every time Jesus gives a commendation, Jesus is saying, this is what I want the church to be like. And every time he gives a correction, we're hearing, this is what I don't want to be in my church. Amen? Amen? So as we read this church and we look at what they were like, uh, we're learning about Jesus, how he would like his church to be. Um, So with that, look at chapter three, verse seven. It says this. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts. And no one opens. And so first, I want to give us a little background on Philadelphia. It opens as the other letters do. Um, He says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. These letters are addressed to the angels, the pastors, the overseers of the particular churches. Remember, each one of these was actually a church that existed, and they were given to the leaders of these churches. We know that each letter was written to the church at large, because at the end of each letter, Jesus says, he who has ears To hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church is. Says that to all seven. So while it was addressed to a church, he says, I want this to go out to all my church um, that we would all benefit from these things. And so he says to this church in Philadelphia, so a few things about them. Uh, What kind of an area were they in? What kind of a, a people were they? Um, the people of the church in Philadelphia was situated. It was a major Roman road where some of the other churches also found themselves. It led from Troas to Pergamus, to Thyatira, then the Sardis. Then it ended at Philadelphia on the east. And so it's on the little travel route that you would see all the churches going You know, on. It was on a, a major road. The city got its name. So Philadelphia means we call it brotherly love. This is not Philadelphia in the east coast, by the way. Uh, all these are churches in Asia Minor, present day Turkey, um, and it's interesting, it got its name. There was two brothers who were influential in founding the city. I can't really pronounce this first guy's name. It's Uminez, E U M E N E S, the second. He had a younger brother named uh, Atelidad. Atelidad? Yeah, I know what I'm saying. A T T A, something, something, L I D, the second. His younger brother, here's a big deal his younger brother was being tempted by Rome to. Basically, to go against his older brother and to gain favor with Rome, and he wouldn't do it because he loved his brother so much. And so these two founded the city. They called it the City of Brotherly Love. They named it after him. He was nicknamed this brother Philadelphus, which means brotherly love. That's where the city got its name from. About the city during the time when the letter was written, Um, it was pagan. It was mostly a pagan city. Um, They had really fertile fields, so they grew grapes really well in the area. They had a lot of pagan gods, a lot of things that they worship. One of note was Dionysus was the god of wine. So because they had all of the the fertile wine vineyards and whatnot, um, Dionysus was worshiped here, the god of wine. Some people called Philadelphia, they called it Little Athens because there were so many temples to so many different gods all throughout the city. So they had a lot of pagan practices going on in the city. Uh, They also suffered from or they had earthquakes like California. Uh, Philadelphia, also Sardis, both had earthquakes. They had a large earthquake at one point and where it was such a devastating earthquake that they were, people were mostly moved out of the city for a season uh, until things were repaired and put back together. That'll be important later as God gives them some, some words at the end, you know, that they'll, they'll never be moved. They're going to be pillars in the house of his God. God is saying, you guys will never have to move He says this to a church of people that were, you know, they were accustomed to things happening where they were being moved out because of the earthquakes and the things that were going on. Lastly, the Christians in Philadelphia suffered persecution from the Jewish. There were Jews that were resistant to Christ, resistant to the gospel, yet they ran synagogues. And so a lot of the Christians in Philadelphia have been kicked out of the local synagogues. Um, they couldn't worship there. So they suffered persecution from, there was Jewish opposition that they suffered persecution from. So with all that kind of background about the city and the people and what was going on, Jesus says, and to the leader, the angel, the pastor of this church in Philadelphia, right? And remember, every time uh, Christ displays, he, he, uh, he depicts himself in some way has something to do with his message to the church. So listen to what Jesus says about himself to this group. These things says he who is holy and he who is true. And I'm gonna I stop there before I go to the next things. He who is holy, uh, this holiness is spoken of here is the holiness that only can be said about God. Everybody here, we're trying to be holy, amen? Is anybody here perfectly holy? Anybody? I wanna find, I want, you know, it's always one, uh, you know, but no, none of you, none of us are perfectly holy. We know that we're flawed. We know that we fall short, but the way holy is used here, this is the holiness that God, it only can be attributed to him. He is perfect in his holiness. Amen. He is without flaw, without error, without blemish, without issue at all. God says, look, he who is holy. And this says, he who is true. There's two Greek words used to depict true. Some is one of them is true as opposed to false. That's not the word that's being used here. The other one is true, and it means it's true in the truest sense of what it is. It's true in its nature. It's true in what it is. When God says, look, I am true, we know that he is the truth. Amen? Uh, it's not, even just, not just what he does. He doesn't just tell the truth. He actually is the truth. And so Jesus is true in all of who he is. Um, both of these things remind us we know that he's God, but he says, hey, guys, the one that's saying these things to you, I am perfectly holy, and I'm absolutely true. Um, that'll mean something because he's going to say some things to them. He's going to have some words to speak to this church. Uh, interesting to me that the, the promise to this church, the small church, this, you know, that he, he's speaking to here, uh, weak in power. He has the most uh, promises for this church um, than any of them. So he has a lot to say to them toward toward the end. He who was holy and he was true. Then he says this. He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts, and he shuts and no one opens. Uh, that would be important to the Jewish listener and otherwise. The key of David, um, Jesus is basically letting them know, look, I, I am, I'm the one that, I'm the doorway, I'm the, I have the, the key, there's, a, there's an authority that God has. Um, if you're going to enter into relationship with God, you got to come through who? You got to come through Jesus. He said, I, I have the key, because this is why this is important. These believers have been kicked out of synagogues. Jesus says to them, hey, guys, relax. I got the key of David. Never mind what those guys are doing over there. Never mind that you can't go to that synagogue down there. Hey, I have the key of David. I'm, I'm, you're good with me. And so I want you to understand how reassuring it would be for them to hear him say this to them. I have the key. Them guys are kicking you out like they are in charge, like they're holding it. But I have the key of David. I'm the one that determines that. When I open, nobody can shut and when I shut, nobody can open. And he's going to tell them in just a moment, I've opened a door for you guys. And I, want, I don't want to skimp over that real quick because while here it has a specific meaning, what he says here, this is true about God in general, right? If God opens a door for you, who can shut it? Nobody. And if he shuts a door, who can open it? Nobody. Um, that's an important thing to grasp as believers that, you know, I, I think it'll keep us from Living like the world in some sense, you know, if if there's a job or something I'm going after and I I desire it strongly, I want God to do it. If God has it for me, do I have to cheat to get it, steal to get it, step on your neck to get it? I just got to be right with God. If, If he opens that door for me, nobody can shut it anyway. It saves me in this way, too. Let's say you shut the door. Let's say I go to get a job where you work at. You don't like me. I got there to the door and you gave me stank face from the dough. I know you don't like me. I go for the interview and you don't, I don't get the job. I don't leave there saying I didn't get the job because he didn't like me. No, no, no. Why? Because if God had it for me, could you keep it from me? So I don't have to be mad at you. I don't have to kiss your butt. I don't have to be mad at you. You don't matter that much. You're down here. I'm looking, up. I'm looking way above your head for what's coming for me. And if God shuts that door, it doesn't matter who shuts it. doesn't matter whose hand is on the knob. If he shuts the door, I can accept that from the Lord. If he opens a door, nobody can shut it. If he shuts the door, no one can open it. Now, in the, if, if I'm looking at what it means here in the sense of my salvation, in the sense of my being right with God, in the sense of me being in relationship with the Lord, God is saying, look, if I open the door, nobody can shut it on you. Nobody can take this from you because I did it. I opened it up. And if I shut it, nobody's opening it. But to the believers here, he's saying, look, if I have opened this up to you, it's open. And I believe that, again, he's encouraging. We're going to find out in just a moment, faithful Christians in an era where they've been persecuted and mistreated by so-called Jewish people. Uh, They've been booted out of synagogues, so forth and so on. And Jesus says, these are encouraging words that he would present himself to them as, I'm holy and I'm true. I have the key of David. I open and nobody can shut. I shut and no one can open. He's reminding them that he is, God has authority, that he has power, that he is sovereign. Nobody can undo what God has done. Amen? Uh, And there's a security in that, right? If God has saved you, can somebody unsave you? No, I'm I'm saved. I mean, once I belong, I belong. Eternal life, how long does eternal life last? So if I got eternal life, then ha, ha, you know, I got eternal life. I'm, I'm in, I'm with him um there's a security and a comfort in that that I think we need to have. Right? God wants us to have. In 1 John 5:13 he says these things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know it. And so he tells him here again he opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. If you're a note taker, this is a quotation from Isaiah 22 uh, verses 20 through 23, you can go look at the context there, um, but I'm moving on. Look at verse 8. He says what he says to all the churches, I know your works. Uh, again, he says this to every one of the churches, and sometimes after he says, I know your works, he has have some commendations, and then he would have some corrections to the church in Sardis, the dead church. If you guys remember after Jesus said, I know your works, he had nothing positive to say. And I told you guys, that's not the church we want to be. If God have nothing good to say about you, that means ain't nothing good about you. Because if there is anything good to say, he was always faithful to say it. But imagine a church where God would say, I got nothing. Just skip the positive. I got nothing good to say about you. Well, this church, God would say, I got nothing bad to say about you. All I have is commendations for you guys. Um, and so that causes me to want to, I want to hear this. I want to hear this church that God says, I only got good things to say about you guys. Because I'm, I'm learning about him And I'm learning how to be that kind of Christian, that kind of believer, that kind of church where God says, I got nothing bad to say about you. Wouldn't we all like to be that? I want to be that. Um, And so let's listen. He says this in verse eight. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Um, So first he says, I know your works. Then he reminds him that he has set before them an open door. And no one can shut it. And I believe for them, again, sometimes the scriptures open doors are spoken of as ministry or evangelistic opportunities that, you know, God has opened a door of opportunity before us. If you're a note taker, you can write down First Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse nine. When I say if you're a note taker, it's because I hope that all of y'all are note takers. It's like my hint for you to take notes, but it's really nice. If you're a note taker, you want to write down First Corinthians chapter 16, verse nine. I'll read it to you, though. 1 uh, Corinthians 16 9, it says this. Um, Paul said in verse 8, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. He says, for a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Uh, I like that coupling because if you're doing any kind of ministry where you're evangelizing, you're reaching out, God says, I'll open this, a great and effective door of opportunity opened up. But you know what? If you get involved in ministry and you're trying to reach souls for Christ, guess what you can count on? There'll be some adversaries. Should that stop you? Should that hinder you? It should cause you to pray uh, because it's a spiritual battle, but it should not hinder you, slow you. It should just make you aware. And then when you get hit with the battle, you ought to be a little bit happy. You know that like I mean that that, that's a hit that you're doing something. Amen. Um, So if you don't experience any warfare ever, I would say that that's sad. I would be looking in the mirror saying, God, why? Why is, why, is, why is Satan concerned with me at all? Imagine if you played on a basketball team and nobody ever came to D you up. Nobody ever came to defend. You came down court with the ball and everybody just let him go, let him go. What does that say about you? That says you, it's just pathetic. We, we're not worried about you making a basket from nowhere, you know? Um, so imagine that's, that's a, the believer that is experiencing no opposition. That's you. Uh, Satan is just let them go. They ain't going to do nothing. Um, Please don't be that believer. Amen? Man, kick up some dust. Throw sand in the enemy eye. Do something. uh, But make some noise. Do something for the Lord. So here he says, uh, set before you an open door and no one can shut it. And again, he's encouraging and reminding these believers of what he's done for. I'm the one that's opened these doors for you guys. Even though your experience and reality is that you can't get into temples, and you've been outed by Jewish people. He said, look, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. Look at what he says now about them. He says, for you have a little strength. Um, and we, I want to go through each one of these things. So I'll read them and I'll come back to them. First, he says, you have a little strength. Then he says, you have kept my word. Then he says, if you have not denied my name. So come back up. He says, you have a little strength. That's under commendation. So it's, it's like he could have said you have no strength. He's saying, look, you guys have a little strength. So this, we know this is a church that will be around in the end times. But God said, look, they're not this massive, banging, powerful, mega. He said, you guys have a little strength. But that's a commendation. Um, you guys are in a difficult area, and it's difficult, but you have a little strength. You guys are hanging in there. Uh, I want you to know this because sometimes there are believers that are feeling like I just got to, you know, like, like, like you have to do some magnificent, magnanimous thing. And God is saying, if you just be faithful with the stuff I did call you to do, it might not look like, you know, fireworks. But from my perspective, it'd be pretty awesome. We looked at Enoch and Enoch is just a, he's only spoken of in three places in the Bible in Genesis, uh, Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11 and in Jude. And all you can put, you put his whole life together, it says in Genesis that he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And you're like, man, this dude, God just took him to heaven early. And you think, what was, what was it about his life that was so amazing that God took him? He pleased God. Then you go to you know, Hebrews 11, and you look at him in Hebrews 11, and you find that you know, he, 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 by faith, it was by faith that he walked with God. And after, he, he, after Enoch had Methuselah, so after he had a kid, something took place. And he began, to, he, said he began to walk with God. And for 300 years, consistently, he walked with God. What is a walk? It's consistent, steady, forward progress. Nothing spectacular. You know, it wasn't like he had fireworks and gun shows. It wasn't like Elisha or the prophets. He just walked with God. And somehow his consistent walk with the Lord pleased God so much. I mean, they were, I look at, at his same time. Noah, what Noah did was pretty remarkable, but God didn't take him. But something about Enoch just his consistent, walk with 300 years walking. And God said, man, I like this dude so much, I'm, gonna bring him to, I'm just going to bring him to heaven without death. And God took him. And then you go to Jude and you find out that he prophesied and he was speaking truth. But, you know, that's it? That's it? Give me the secret sauce. What did he do? You know, what did the, give me what he really did. No, he just walked with me. Some of you guys. If you just walk with God, if you just be consistent in walking with Jesus, stop walking away from him. Stop getting distracted with others. If you would just walk with God, you will find that as you walk with him, you walk into everything that he delights in, everything that he wants you to be doing as you just walk with him. And sometimes, again, we're looking for the big thing. I want to do this great thing. And God said, I wish you would just do the, the basic stuff. I wish you would just walk. I wish you would just open up the word and read it every day. I wish you would just obey what you already know. Some people want to get deep, they want to get deep, deep, deep. And God's like, if you would obey the little bit you know, we'd be a lot better. You know, um, sometimes I'd be amazed at how people want to go deep and be all philosophical and deep and they're not obeying the basics. Um, deep for what then? You know, so here he says to them, you have a little strength. Maybe in your walk, maybe as you serve the Lord, maybe you feel beat up, tattered. Maybe you feel like, man, I have a little strength. But God says, look, I'm commending them for having a little strength. It's Not a bad thing if you're beat down from the battle. It means you've been in the battle. Amen? If you're weary from the war, it means you've been in the war. But he says, you guys have a little strength. He's commending them for the little strength that they have. Something we want to remember that in the scriptures, sometimes in the world, we forget this. In the world, you know, we want to be strong. But in the Bible, God says, look, strength comes from weakness. God says, look, when you're weak, he is what? His strength is made perfect in your weakness. So then if God's strength is made perfect when I'm weak, then what happens when I'm all strong and full of myself? God's like, I'm going to let you be strong. While you be strong, I'm going to be weak in your life. That's when your life is all Torah, when you think you got it together. It's when we're weak that we're strong. It's when I'm humble. It's when I know I can't do it without his help. It's when I'm, I'm on my face. In desperate prayer saying, God, I can't do this without you, that God says, then I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to do it for you. I'll go before you. Um, it's when we become full of ourselves that we're really weak, weakest of all. So um, he says, you have a little strength. Next thing he says to the next commendation, you have kept my word. Um, if you guys remember in the beginning of the book, the blessing to the book of Revelation was said in verse three of chapter one, God says um, that he's going to bless those who read it, hear it, and keep. The prophecies that are written in this book, right? Reading the word is important. Hearing the word is important. But the, the final piece is significant, right? That we keep the word. He says, here, you guys have kept my word. Never mind where you live. Never mind the environment. Never mind all the wickedness going on. You guys have kept my word. I commend you for that. And so God would commend you and me as well if we could keep his word. If we would be men and women, do we live in a wicked world? We sure do. Are there temptations all around us? Absolutely. Are there differing opinions and views and feelings? Certainly. And God said, look, I would commend you for being a man or woman that would keep my word. That you wouldn't let society tell you what my word says. You tell the world, the society, what my word says. That we wouldn't bend the rules. We wouldn't change God's words. We wouldn't take out the inconvenient verses and leave the convenient verses. But God says, you kept my word. There's never been a generation of believers that weren't tempted to leave the word of God. You know that? That's always going to be a place of battle, a place of war. The enemy's going to always attack. You go all the way back in the beginning of your Bible, you learn how Satan wars. Satan, the first thing he ever came against was the word of God. You know that? He told Eve, has God indeed said that you can't eat? I mean, she's brought into question the word. Did God really say that? And the insinuation was, because if he did, that's messed up. Right, did God really say you can't eat of all the, that is messed up. Autumn trees, you can't, you can't eat of all the trees. What God had really said was you can eat of all the trees except one. But look at how Satan flipped it. Did God indeed say, don't be surprised that same thing is happening today. does the Bible really say? That's not what the Bible really means. You got people that don't even know the Bible quoting it and twisting it and maneuvering it and you know, maligning it. God said, look, this church kept my word. We want to be a church that keeps the word. But here's the deal. You can't keep the word you don't know.
0: You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of Revelation is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit calvaryenglewood.org and click on media, or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in our app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest times and locations for services. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's word and be together as a family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. As we've looked into the book of Revelation, keep in mind that this book is not all doom and gloom. It ends the way the Bible began, in paradise. For those who love and follow Jesus, this book provides hope in God rescuing us from all that is broken and corrupt. So, keep looking for that in the midst of much heartache here on earth. If you felt the blessing of this ministry in your life, we'd love for you to partner with us in praying for those who hear a transforming word. As the message go out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. This ministry is a great opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and His salvation. We ask that you pray for ears to be opened, hearts to be softened, and for lives to be changed. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for another edition with Pastor Bill on a transforming word.